Was 2023 a good year for robotics and automation? With lots of attention on generative artificial intelligence, you may have missed some big advances in the world of robots, as well as some missteps. On this episode of Today in Tech, we're going to dive into the robot world. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Today in Tech. I'm Keith Shaw. Joining me in studio is Gene Dimitri. He is the editorial director at WTWH Media's Robotics Group, which includes the media sites, The Robot Report, Robotics Business Review, and others. Welcome to the show, Gene. Thanks, Keith. It's great to be here. Now, now just to, uh, as full disclosure, we work together. Uh, both you and I have covered the robotics space in previous life, you know, lifetimes. Uh, how long have you been covering robotics? About 10 years? So almost 10 years. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you've got a good handle on everything from, from the early days of, of robotics to to the current situation. I know where some of the bodies are buried. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. So as we look back at, at, at 2023, what, what, you know, what were some of the biggest uh, stories in the year of robotics? Cause, um, and I'm going to follow up with some other, other questions, but you know, if, as you look in your crystal ball, well, not the crystal ball, but look What's to past, the past. Right? Yeah. Well, what, uh, what stood out for in 2023? You know, if it wasn't for gen AI, that would have been the year of humanoids. Okay. Uh, there have been, five or six different companies in the past year that have unveiled humanoids. And whether or not they're running for prime time, they're getting a lot of public attention. Okay. And other things that happened this past year, the first quarter, the first half of the year was really tough for the robotics industry. There were a lot of layoffs. Uh-huh. Uh, not so many company failures, but it's still the slowdown in e-commerce hit the whole industry. Yeah. Um, so then the other thing that I would say happened later this year is autonomous systems, autonomous vehicles, and particularly hit a big pothole or set of potholes. Um, And they were getting billions of dollars of investment. Obviously, that's now drying up. Right. Uh, And I had previously forecast uh, a peace dividend, right, that all the investment in autonomous vehicles was going to trickle down to other forms of robotics. Obviously, that's not going to happen. You haven't seen that yet, or you didn't see it at all? No, we haven't really seen much of that. So let's talk about uh, humanoid robotics, too, because, uh, you know, uh, first, in in this space, what is it that made them have a better year than in previous years? Because it always felt like there was always this divide in the robotics industry about, well, do I make a robot look like a human, or do I make it, uh, you know, more utility of, or, or do things that humans can't do, which includes the shape of it. And I, I think our big, our big, our, our big analogy was always R2D2 versus C3PO because C3PO is humanoid. R2D2 obviously isn't. Um, but R2D2 is useful, right? He can do a lot of different things. Yeah, I mean, C3PO is useful if you didn't make him a protocol droid, I guess. Maybe. Okay. So, so what led? To, so I, I think most people were in that R2D2 space. So, how do you? What What happened that humanoid robots are now more useful than they used to be? Well, the, the things that have happened, and this is more than just this year, but okay. building up to this, sure. is that uh, the actuators have gotten better, more lightweight, more capable. Okay. Uh, the ability to balance and do locomotion with legged robots in general, and bipeds in particular, mm-hmm. has absolutely gotten better. And uh, the humanoid form factor, obviously, they're no longer roughly humanoid. Many of them look more and more. They've added heads and arms and, and things that 
make them easier to anthropomorphize. Okay. And, and that has captured the public imagination. It captures the media imagination. I would still argue that it's early days in terms of actual utility for humanoid robots. There's actually only one company that is doing any kind of commercial trials right now. Yep. And that's agility robotics. Okay. So talk, so talk about agility robotics then. What, what, you know, they found a space in, in the warehouse environment, correct? Right. Well, what they did that most other humanoids have not done yet is they combine legged locomotion with manipulation, right? So their robot can lift boxes or totes and move them from the back of a truck to a conveyor belt. Right. And they've been in trials with Amazon and now GXO Logistics, which is a big step forward, no pun intended, for humanoid robots. Most of the others that we've seen, including Optimus from Tesla and a lot of the others, they're still showing that they can walk and maybe chew gum at the same time. Yeah. And so... They have a ways to go yet. It's a remar- remarkable achievement, but we're not as mature yet. So people see humanoids and like, oh, this is great. They can do all these things. Yeah, Atlas can do parkour from Boston Dynamics, right. which is amazing. And it did have a really great video this year on a simulated construction site, right? It was jumping and running and, and tossing a bag of tools. That is an accomplishment, but that's not the same thing as something that's out in commercial trials. Right, right. And and I the biggest the biggest industry sector for robotics has always been either manufacturing, so you think of uh, car production, uh, factory floor, those ro- giant robot arms that are make you know picking up car doors and building cars and things like that. Uh, but the other one was then supply chain and warehouse robotics. Again, thanks to Amazon and and all of the the mobile you know automated mobile robots and you know they can move around a warehouse, but you still need people to pick up a box or an item from a shelf and put it on the robot. So do you think agility has, has, has mastered that? Um, they don't have heads, right? They just have arms and legs. Actually, they now have heads and they've mounted like cameras and okay. other things. Okay. All right. Um, but they, they certainly don't look like a, a typical robot, like a humanoid robot. Like, and look, somewhere in somewhat, between yeah. the, the autonomous mobile robots and warehouse that you mentioned. Yeah. And the much more humanoid Optimus or Atlas, yeah. where there's a, you know, identifiable head and shoulders and all that. But, I would say that the again the achievement there is that they've moved forward with partners in I mean Amazon's one of the biggest retailers in the world. Yeah. Right? So to, to be able to go public with that kind of relationship is an accomplishment. But again, it's still very early days and the manipulation on that is still not uh, as fine as human dexterity. Yeah, so they could probably pick up a box because it just comes up like this and, and then picks the box up and moves it. Right. If, if, if there's a phone in a bin somewhere, that robot's not going to be able to pick that up, right? No. But there are some that can pick up small items, but those are usually robot arms, right? Right. And mobile manipulation is yeah. something that people have been working on for a long time, but it's yeah. noteworthy that a lot of the companies that start out in that space, like Fetch and IM Robotics, got out and are now focusing either on AMRs, mobile robots, uh-huh. or on software. Uh, because as it turns out, mobile manipulation is, is fairly challenging. Will, will there be a standard type of robot that you see at some point uh, from a hardware perspective? I, you know, obviously the growth of the PC industry is, is because there was, there was not like 17 different style. I mean, it's still a personal computer and then you have different branding and things like that. But everyone knows that a computer is, you know, usually a, a screen and a keyboard and a mouse and some storage. Like you never see that with robotics. You always see, 
wacky different designs and and again depending on what market they want to go to do you ever think it's going to consolidate to to something where it's there, a single robot i think there is some consolidation in the mobile robot space yeah um and that's usually a box on wheels right right so yeah. that there is it's not commoditized yet but it's moving in that direction and there are standards being developed to deal with those kinds of robots for humanoids it's still way too early i mean uh, AS Team International is working on a legend robot safety standard, mm-hmm. and that's certainly very important work. Uh, but for the platform to be sta- stabilized, yeah. you have to have one that's recognized by the industry as being useful and affordable and functional. And we're not there yet. Is is there growth in the four-legged robot space with, uh, what do they call them, quadrupeds? Yes, yeah, is, there is. You know, because I, I remember right before I came back to this show, that was a one of the areas we were looking into of, of success, maybe crawling around tunnels or getting to areas that, that, you know, a regular two-person or two-legged human can't get to. Did you see some growth there or is that still very niche so two things have happened. Yeah. One is that Boston Dynamics with Spot has actually unveiled sensor packages and manipulation package, and they can now do inspection and even go out and read gauges yeah. in an oil rig or something installation like that. So that's again commercial progress. In terms of technology, a number of companies are now coming out with cheaper quadrupeds. Yeah, and while those quadrupeds haven't really been put to work yet, it's easier to build on those platforms. Yeah. So why was there why was there a slowdown in was it just a, a general slowdown in e-commerce meant that you didn't need as many robots in the warehouse filling orders or because uh, because I thought with the supply chain disruptions that we had post pandemic that you would find growth areas for mobile robots to fill those orders faster what happened where the you know that market is now not as hot as it used to be well. First, e-commerce, everyone thought we're going to have 10x growth indefinitely at the end of the pandemic. And obviously, that wasn't going to happen. And then secondly, if roughly 70% of American warehouses are not automated yet, the big 3PLs, the big retailers and e-tailers, the Walmarts, the Targets, the Amazons of the world, they already have robots, right? But getting to the next tier down, small and mid-sized, those environments are much more non-standardized. And they didn't have the capital to invest in AMR fleets. Okay. And AMR fleet prices were not coming down and weren't being structured in such a way to serve that segment of the market yet. Uh, there's been progress in fleet management. There's been progress in robotic sense and service models. Yep. Uh, but the, the slowdown in demand really tightened everyone's purses. Yeah. Purse strings. And so they had to... Uh, slow down in production. And there were people had overextended. A lot of the companies that ran into trouble this year were just burning cash. They had been running out of fumes throughout the pandemic. And then finally, when inflation and, uh-huh, and unemployment uh-huh. pressures hit, there were mass layoffs. Even though everyone claims that there are still labor shortages in manufacturing and supply chain and yeah. other industries, the ability to serve those industries was also hampered. Yeah, so... I, I saw that Amazon, there was a big story in the Wall Street Journal a couple months ago where they were, it felt like they were doubling down on their robotics play as well. They always had the systems that would, they would have this little small mobile robot, would pick up the, the giant case of, of all the products and then move it to a packing station. And that's where a human would pick and pack. Um, but now I think the newer ones are now integrated more of a warehouse automation 
type of layout? Like this was probably about a two months ago. Do you remember what what I'm referencing? So, yeah, uh, Amazon bought Kiva in 2012 and yeah. helped create the this market AMR market yeah. by pulling them out of it. Yeah, and then uh, more recently they they have introduced smaller, more nimble mobile robots. Okay, uh, a lot of them are still not in collaborative applications with humans, but they are able to move different types of payloads. And most recently, they are also announcing robot arms. Now, Amazon has been actively investigating all kinds of robots, right? Pickers and goods to person, all those. But for them to publicly announce it means that they feel, okay, this is ready to scale, and we're going to put thousands of these things out. And so that definitely shows that there is maturity, there is demand. uh, And if they're doing it, you can be sure everyone else is looking at it. Uh, but it coincided, like, they can afford to spend the money on it. Yeah. It coincided with everyone else, again, really struggling. <laughs> you know, we talked about Six River Systems. Yeah. Um, and they ran into problems. They had been bought by Shopify uh, for a pretty good valuation. And then when they changed hands again this year to Ocado, um, they laid off most of their staff. And even though their product was was good, there was the, the feeling in the industry at that yeah. moment. It's like, well, yeah, the demand is still out there, but where is the retrenching going on? Now, it turns out in their case, it was not just about demand for AMRs. It was probably more about what was happening to Shopify. Uh-huh. Yeah, and, and so with Amazon too, and I was f- covering this from a, a higher level view of the the whole technology company landscape, it felt like there was a big push uh, against Amazon for companies like Timu and Shein, or it's Shein. It's the Chinese-based companies. And so they've got these giant, giant e-commerce sites that can produce, like the the products that they sell are very inexpensive. Um, Some would say cheap. Some and but if you're willing to if you're looking for price versus speed of getting it delivered, some of these some of these Chinese based sites are fine. I was like, you know, I'm fine on getting this product in two weeks rather than that two day, one day system. So it felt that Amazon was doubling down on this. They still believe that speed is more important than price at this point. Um, and quality, I guess you could argue too. Well, and then there's that competitive advantage. Amazon is not the upstart anymore. Yeah. Right. So, so now you've got all these upstarts going after the big dog. Right. And yeah. so Amazon is, is committed to its business model. And for a while there at the end of the pandemic, everyone's like, oh, we need to buy American because, you know, right. we got into all these trade conflicts right before the pandemic. Yeah. And at the same time, at post pandemic, you're absolutely right. Uh, China says, you know what, we can still compete on price, we can still compete on availability of goods, and we're, we don't have to worry about antitrust scrutiny. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out, because for all of the talk about reshoring and nearshoring, most of that is actually about production of chips and other strategic supplies. Right. But when we're talking about apparel, if you're talking about food in some cases, we're still a you global still can't market. compete with China on we some of those things. We still can't compete with certain markets for scale. Okay. Um, generative AI was a big story in the IT space and, and, and even, you know, around the world, consumer tech, all that other stuff. I kept figuring that we would see stories or companies or research about merging the generative AI capabilities of a chat GPT into a physical form of a robot where you could now ask a robot for a question and it would give you a response and you would have that personal interaction. 
but we never saw, I never saw anything unless, unless there's some small companies out there that are doing it. I just didn't feel, I, it was just like, where are these things? Is it because robot development takes so long that that's why we're not seeing them yet? Or we might be seeing them down the road or it's just a use case that's not very it's useful. A little bit of all in okay. So a lot of the social robots that are out there yeah. have been in development for a while. And so you have to figure whatever engine they were using for that human-machine interaction was already in the works. Right. I mean, we have to remember, ChatGPT has only been out for a year, which yeah. in tech time is, is very fast. Sure. And so that's part of it. The other part of it is that a lot of people are looking at ChatGPT not for human-machine interaction, but to automatically generate code or okay. to help generate design. And, and so and, that's, and that's where you're different. seeing it in the robotic space? We're seeing a little bit of it there. Yeah. That the human-machine interaction, I still think, is the area where it makes the most sense right. in the short term uh, to have natural speech or text interaction. Right, and the, and the biggest case of that, the biggest example of that was Pepper, right? The, you know, you've probably seen the Pepper robot out there. It has new owners. So okay, yeah, well, that's the problem with that company is they keep getting new owners. Look. Yeah, it's now United Robotics Group. Okay. Uh, so the, that humanoid service robot and, and, and uh, consumer-facing robot is going to continue. Yeah. And it will probably get, you know, enhanced interactive abilities. But I don't think that's the area where ChatGPT is most promising. I think there is beginning to be research on how to apply it to, again, generate a robotic code. Right. And... No one is saying, oh, we should rely on this exclusively yet, right? We all know that. And there's been a lot of discussion about AI, robotics, AI, ethics, and that's still developing. But I do think that ChatGPT, also because it's so general, right? It has crawled all these sites to get information. It doesn't have the specialist knowledge that robotics developers need. Can it it write... Code for the robotic operating system for you for know, Ross. It, for Ross, yeah. Uh, there are experiments where it has generated some, yeah. Uh, but I don't know that that's necessarily better than what's already out there for you know beginning coders to get to use it. Right, right. So, and again, it de- I guess it depends on the area of ChatGPT that you're looking for because it can do so many different things. Right. Um, I, you know, you know, if I if I had a few bucks, I'd be like, I would integrate it with some of these image drawing capabilities and have a robot do the drawing for you. There are already be good at trade shows, at least. There are already some things like that yeah. where you can send ChatGPT and it will create things, but it hasn't happened on the scale that you're talking about yet. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, all right, so. Is there going to be a reckoning in the robotic space when it comes to all of the money that was being invested? I guess, are we, are we going to hit a point where we might see it go off the cliff? Or is it just going to be a refresh reboot with a lot of these things? I think we're already in what Gartner calls a tropical <laughs> disillusionment. Okay. I think we've already gone you've, off you've the hit cliff. that, yeah. Uh, that some of the hype around robotics and AI has already resulted in layoffs, as I said, in the first half of this year and the end of last year in the robotics space. It's also resulted in venture capital firms being much more selective. They want to see proof of concept beyond. They want to see, can you be marketable? Can you be commercially successful? Yeah. And that's hard if you're a small startup that came out of a university or incubator. Uh, there is, we'll talk about autonomous vehicles, right? Talking about that drying up really fast. Yeah. They got billions of dollars. There have been some serious safety incidents and uh, we don't really know what the fate of cruise is going to be. Well, let's, let's just go right into the, Let's just talk about the autonomous car stuff. Lots of 
big high profile bad news. Uh, you know, GM crews, I, I think they were forced to shut down or at least shut yes. down their, their, uh, their operations in San Francisco, at least in California. Uh, cause there were a couple of incidents. The one that we remember that we talked about on the show was, um, a car was swerving to avoid a hit and run and then ended up trapping someone under the car. Yeah. I've seen other ones where that, where it drove through a, a concrete drying space. Like they were doing some sidewalk work or, or road work and it, and it went through the orange cones. Um, those were pretty high profile, but then even recently the long-term trucking space, like the, the, you know, the mid mile. The middle mile. Um, and even the long haul trucking. Long haul trucking. That's, that's, that's the term. Like, you know, there's only really two big companies that are left doing any, any kind of work in this space. Aurora and Kodiak. Uh, too simple just announced they're, they're shutting down. So w- what happened in the autonomous vehicle space? Cause everyone was like, yeah, we're going to be getting in those robot cars pretty soon. Well, again, I do want to point out that robo taxi. Deployments are still happening in Vegas and Arizona and, and elsewhere. Very so, dry climates where you have very, you know, little yeah, weather. We won't be seeing them here in Boston. Too, oh, boy. Too soon. Oh, good. <laughs> uh, well, it, it turns out they add to traffic. So, okay. Uh, but the other things that happened is there was a, uh, a chill in terms of even before these safety incidents happened. Regulators are like, well, we're not sure where this fits in to our scheme. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been hearing about in San Francisco, cars stopping in the middle of intersections and just blocking traffic, right, or adding yeah. to traffic. And the trucking space, the Teamsters came out in California in particular against autonomous trucking. Okay. And the industry didn't react well enough to say, okay, how do we get them on board? How do we work with them to say this is not going to threaten you? Because there's still going to be that last mile. Sure. They're still going to need to have a, a human to bring things into cities and more complex environments. But the other thing is that hardware is hard. And uh, the time frames for autonomous vehicles and trucking included just get getting pushed out, and investors got impatient, and regulators started to circle around. And I, I still think there's a lot of promise. I actually think that autonomous trucking is a more promising area of AVs than passenger cars. Right. You can operate them at scale as fleets. You can manage them more centrally. You can have them on these long haul stretches where there isn't a lot of obstacles or traffic to deal with. Yeah. Um, Will we see still something like the shuttle space? Like if you're at an airport and you have to get from one terminal to the other, you know, usually you take a bus. Yeah. Is that still, you know, where it's a limited, where you've got a, a little gated area? Will that be something that happens down the road? We see shuttles being yeah. very active in retirement communities, yeah. on college campuses, and airports, because those are con- constrained setting. You map right. it once. Yeah. You don't have to worry about, most of the time, you don't have to worry about random traffic. Um, but at the same time, the bar for safety is very high. And unlike a delivery robot, which... Even those have gotten into problems. Yeah, our, we, that's another. It's, it's another checklist on my on my list here of delivery robots. Um, that seemed like every college campus was getting one, um, but now it's the. Uh, is it just that they're all out there, so it's not that exciting, or is there a downturn in that segment too? I think there's a little bit of a downturn there as well. One, the novelty has worn off, yeah. and and the, those the fleets that are operating on campuses are still operating, but there is also the issue of. At some point, you have to figure out what is the economics of it. Most of these are teleoperated, so there are still humans behind them. Most of them still have a fairly high degree of support and maintenance involved, right? It's not like your local fast food chain can just operate them on their own. 
And right. so the partnerships between the developers and delivery robots, whether they're sidewalk or street-driven, and the customers that they were working with, those are short-term deals uh, to just trial it. Right, okay. And so to do it, again, at a larger scale or in more dynamic environments, they're not ready yet. Right. I think the where I saw one in the wild, we were at Bridgewater State University locally here, and uh, I was parking, and we were walking to a theater on campus, and as we were crossing, I saw it was starships, and there were three of them that went by, just like, you know, boom, boom, boom. Um, and then Chris, our, our other uh, co-host on the show, was like, why don't people just pick these things up and, and just take the food? Obviously, they're locked, they're and you'd have to kind of jimmy, and they've got cameras on and stuff, but then you're ruining the food inside, whatever, eventually, if you're shaking right. it or trying and to get I'm, it open. I'm sure college kids have already come up with lots oh, yeah. of creative ways. Oh, yeah, they, you know, the college kids step in front of it just to just to torture it type of thing. And, and I'm sure there's been where they steal them and put them in some other party campus and see if they'll find yeah. a way and all that stuff. Cameras aren't to help with that level of security. The bigger problem is, and, and this goes for drone delivery as well. <laughs> you're, you're just reading my mind. That's my next question. Uh, is that Let's talk about drones. Yeah. With drones, again, there's been progress continues to be made on that. But at the same time, where is that progress being made? It's been made on the commercial inspection side. It's been made in agriculture. But to deliver things, you're limited in range still. Yeah. You're limited in regulation, you know, permitting. Now, the FAA is coming around, but it's still, you have to get... Uh, Will we ever see uh, Amazon Prime Air doing these drone deliveries that, that, you know, they were supposed to be sparking that whole revolution from that, remember that 60 Minutes yeah, uh, piece? Yeah. yeah. We and, won't be seeing and, a helicarrier of Amazon deliveries anytime <laughs> soon. Uh, well, I was always figuring that the noise alone would be annoying enough to get to get communities to be like, no, we don't want any of that, because just because it's loud. Um, and then the battery life, it just seems like it was, you have to be really, really local. You have to be local. And, and, there's also, like, you're not going to drop a TV on someone. There's a limited payload. Right. Right. So we're most of the, but But Amazon says, like, oh, you know, 75 or 80% of, of our goods we can deliver via drone. And, you know, in their press releases, they're saying that. Obviously, I'm not going to order a TV and expect it to that's be. That's true. But at the yeah. same time, where are you delivering it to? Like, a, a suburban neighborhood, yeah. an inner suburb, you can do it. An outer suburb, the distance has become too great. Yeah. An urban area, you don't have enough drop zones that are not included or, you know, flying in a crowded street is going to be much more challenging. So uh, there is a, a limit to where these things can operate. The guidance systems have improved tremendously. The assisted autonomy, before you used to really have to pilot and compensate for every gust of wind and all that, that's no longer true. So progress continues to be made. But in terms of will we all see them in the coming year, I think it's unlikely. Yeah. So it's going to be more of the same, like small projects, small pilots, small... A lot of incremental you know, change. I would yeah. say even this past year, we saw some new products, certainly. But was there a whole new category of products that came out? It's hard to say. Humanoids is the closest thing to that. Right, right. And those have been in the works which for is why, time. Which is why the media is then excited about it, because there's like, oh, something new. Right. Something that we haven't seen before. Um Remember that, what was it, that Amazon dog, that little dog Astro, was that what they were calling it? Yeah. It was supposed to be a consumer tech device. It was like Alexa on wheels type of a thing. I saw a story like that they're now putting that to work as a security robot. Have you? Did you see that, I that announcement? See that. And, and yeah. a lot of that is, uh, we've seen a number of pivots in the drone space from hobbyist to... Uh, commercial and back again, yep. and industrial security, security inspection. Yeah, and and you know during the pandemic you saw a lot of mobile robots 
being used for disinfection, right? Oh, and, yeah, that's right. I forgot. I and, forgot about the disinfection robots phase. That's a worthy that, thing. But, it, it is, but only when you have the things that need to be disinfected. And, and it turns out hospitals are pretty complicated environments because yeah. you don't want to be hitting plastic things when you <laughs> light, among other things. And, and you certainly want to be hitting people with it. But in the case of uh, the surface robots, Again, there is progress, whether it's for therapy or assistive robots, but the idea of having something that is mobile and can interact with the user and has some higher level data collection features, uh, it's been a tough nut to crack. Even iRobot, which is arguably the most well-known consumer robot company in the world, yeah. they had said, oh, we're going to map the home, which is great, and then we're going to collect data, and then they ran it right into privacy issues. Especially in Europe. Like, they're, they're, they're holding up, they're trying to hold up that, uh, the purchase, the purchase of, of iRobot by Amazon because of some of these data privacy concerns. Right. Yeah. And, and it's not to say that it's not a worthy thing that they're trying to do, but they didn't anticipate running into those headwinds. Yeah. Like that, that reminded me when you were talking about service robots, that made me think of the robot waiters that were supposed to be replacing all of these, not replacing, but supplementing, you know, there was a lack of shortage of restaurant workers, you know, in the, in this pandemic slash post pandemic world. And so everyone was thinking, well, we, we've got people that can make the food, but we don't have, we, you know, we don't have a lot of people that can deliver it. So let's, let's have these robot, like these carts on wheels and they would bring the food to your table. And then you, I guess the humans at some point take the food off or put their dirty dishes on and bus it. There are, but, there are a couple of restaurants yeah. here in the area that do that. Oh, really? Which ones? Uh, we, we should, I should go there at some point. There's a, a sushi place in Framingham okay. and an Italian place a little further out. All right. and, and we'll have to go there. Okay. But um, <laughs> the, it turns out in well, terms of food automation, right? obviously there's a lot on the back end in terms of food processing and preparation. Uh all the fast food chains are actively investigating food preparation robots. Right. Because the kitchen is really where they have a shortage of turnover in people. Yeah. But it turns out that the little carts, which are hugely popular in Asia, are not so popular here. The, the labor shortage has eased a little bit yeah. in the restaurant industry. And then second, people like that human contact at the point of sale. Right. And so, but I remember, I remember seeing a, a, a Chinese company was bragging that they had had mastered the idea of not only just bringing the food out, but then having a, a robot arm actually place the the, the, the thing on the table. Yeah. I'm like, that'll never work in America because people have so much junk on their table. You couldn't find an open space, or or they would ask the customer to sort of move, and it's like that's just a recipe for disaster. Plus, having an arm hot, with a hot plate of yeah. food. <laughs> And and uh, anything with children running around. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there, you know, are, are companies like Miso Robotics still still doing their restaurant automation? With I think they the first one they had was Flippy. It did hamburgers, Flippy, yep. and then they went into the chicken. They went into the deep fryer deep space yep. with chicken nuggets and fries and things like that. Are, they're still interest in the food automation portion there of it. Absolutely, still is interest. Yeah, and and I don't know when that will come to fruition, but you can be sure that every fast food chain is testing it and looking at it very hard. But there's also been setbacks. For every pizza-making robot that's out there, or salad dispensing or bowl dispensing robot that's out there, there's a company like Spice, which was based here in Boston, that that was not successful. Or they got bought up, in this case, by Sweetgreen, right? And they've absorbed the technology, and they're starting to repurpose it for themselves. But uh, in terms of server robots, you're right. It's it's difficult. 
And but even even those food automation companies have issues of scale, right? Like it's yeah. very hard to, to mass produce those types of things. Well, that's why they start out with things like pizza or food bowls and dispense it. Is that really robotics? Maybe, maybe not. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. that's not the same thing as a mobile robot with an arm that can plop a plate of food in front yeah. of you. All right, so you eat all that food and you get unhealthy. Now you now you now you've got to go to the healthcare arena. Uh, there have been some robots in the healthcare space. Uh, is that still growing, uh, or is that still kind of plateauing? So, search for robotics is still growing. Okay, uh, but slowly because the time to get regulatory approvals from the FDA is very challenging. Uh-huh. But there are more and more uh, procedures that can be done. You know, obviously, two of the surgical and vicarious surgical, those big guys, they have abdominal procedures, but we're now starting and, to get into and, other. And it depends areas. on the types of surgery that you're yes. doing. Like the easy stuff was was the first stuff that you would get, but then you get more complicated and you're like, I'd rather have a surgeon do that. <laughs> well, joint replacement is, yeah. is now largely automated. Largely robotic, yeah. Uh, and prostate surgery is also largely, but there are other areas uh, that are more challenging to get to. Or where it's like, okay, how much do we still need uh, a surgeon or human in the loop? And, and how close do you want that surgeon to be to the actual right. patient? You know, I've certainly participated in experiments to do teleoperation at distance. And the military is very interested in that. Yeah. But by and large, if you need something done, you're going to go to a doctor in a regular hospital. And the, the unit price on these surgical systems is still relatively high. And so there are... Is progress, but uh, it's not at the scale of like Amazon, which has thousands, tens of thousands of robots. A few hundred robots, each worth a million dollars, right. is, is going to be a different market. We're also starting to see more and more in the therapeutic space, whether we're talking about that social robot interaction or the kinds of uh, robots that are more like exoskeletons that they help people recover okay. from stroke right. and other rehabilitation conditions. type robots. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and, and, and then you're also seeing some mobile robots in space, like things that can deliver dirty linens and, f- you know, food back to the cafeteria, things like that. But, but, or robots that help nurses so that nurses can do less of their tedious work. And right. Yeah. yeah. Although that's actually moving slower than I would have thought. Yeah. Uh, and again, that's because when you're dealing with different healthcare providers, you have to find one that is open to new technology. Yeah. One that can get the insurance reimbursements or yeah. figure out the payment scheme and then identify uh, the logistics application. If you're talking about moving medication or dirty linens through a hospital, it's very different from moving it through a factory or a warehouse. Right. And so, because you're dealing not only with people who are trained to be around robots, but the general public. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, any other areas that, that are interesting or growing, um, you know, agriculture, space, like what other hot areas do you think that we'll, we will see additional robotics interest and innovation. So agriculture is one where there's a lot of interest. Yeah. I would say it's still, again, very early days for them uh, that they're, with John Deere getting into it, obviously it changes the equation. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit like Amazon getting into warehouse robotics. Right. Uh, it, so it's coming, but there are so many different applications. Uh, I was at a meetup last night and people were saying, oh, we backed off from fruit picking which is why a lot of the early robots, because it's a hard challenge. Yeah. And then you have to design a different robot for every type of person. All I can imagine is this big robot arm going squish. <laughs> Go, oops, well, squish. We knew better. Than, we have grippers well. and so on, sensors that are better. Right. But it's still a challenge in terms of, you know, what, what are you harvesting? And you have to be in the field. So these robots have to be 
food safe or sealed, but they also have to be able to endure the elements. Yeah. And so we're not seeing as much of that, but we are seeing mobile robots move into that area or ground robots. And drones, certainly for precision agriculture, are well established at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, aerospace, both for the... Oh, yeah, we didn't get into that. For yeah. the area of exploration of outer yep. space, which yep. is continuing apace, and, and Artemis should, should yield new new things, continuing launches. But then on the ground, in terms of aerospace, the ability to manufacture okay. items with novel architectures is something that not only 3D printing can help, but robotics as well. Okay, And so there is... I would say a growing area there. I, I thought you were, when you said aerospace, I, that made me think of the urban air mobility and these unmanned drones, you know, from if you're in the middle of Manhattan, you need to get to the Hamptons, you hop on one of these unmanned drones. Uh, is that still a thing or is that, is that hit some, you know, regulation requirements and weren't, weren't there some flying uh, taxis in Dubai and some now, of those areas? Now, and, and I think they still have them, yeah. but uh, again, the ability for those uh, to, it turns out, as you may have read recently, that the air traffic controllers are again overstrained. Okay. And, uh, if we don't have the infrastructure to keep track of yeah. our existing jets, I don't think we want to add a whole other layer of travel right yet. Yeah. But the idea of having smaller regional airports served by semi-autonomous craft, uh, that's happening. But the area, oddly enough, where there has been an uptick is old school manufacturing. Automotive. As a whole automotive industry switches over or begins to transition to electric vehicles, yeah. they have to retool their factories. And with trying to reshore microprocessor production to the US, again, there's a new wave of interest in like not the sexy humanoid robots, but the, the very the traditional, precise, traditional very, yeah, there's yeah. an uptick in demand for that. Um, and then, you know, other areas of interest, I would I would say that if you look, maybe not this coming year, but a little bit farther out, it's not just service robots, but it's robots that are again behind the scenes. It's that middle layer of inventory, right, of uh, stocking and restocking and things like that. Yeah, that, like they, they or, or yeah. in, in, in uh, warehouses, you have that threshold between the warehouse and the truck, right, that loading dock area. There's a lot of activity, a lot of interest in research going okay. on there. So like, so a uh, truck rolls up to a grocery store and you've got a, f- it's full of, of pallets that's being automated. There are the, projects in the work to try yeah. to automate that. Yes. Yeah. And you're never going to see one actually packing the shelves. Cause I think that's just too hard. It depends what point. you're, I mean, well, food. You know, yeah. Yeah. Those are small items, but if you're doing shoe boxes. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, lots of lots of stuff other to talk about. What do you think of like you know twenty twenty three? It was kind of a mixed year. What do you think twenty twenty four is going to bring? Will this space bounce back, or are we going to see still a lot of uh, pullback from investment? And you know, if you had to, if you now using your crystal ball, now looking at my crystal yeah. ball, there's a couple of things: uncertainty given the geopolitical situation uh-huh. and upcoming U.S. elections, that's bad for business. <laughs> yeah, right. I would say. Because the defense industry, at the end of the day, and the lack of a centralized industrial policy in this country, they support a lot of the R&D, out of which comes robotics yeah. and drones and other things. And so that uncertainty is going to slow things down for a little while. Yeah. The economy, by contrast, even though inflation has been a real problem, it seems to be abating a little bit. Unemployment 
has not gone up significantly. Yeah. So a lot of companies are still complaining about shortages of the kind of skilled labor. And we're talking not necessarily about um, highly skilled labor. We're talking about people who actually have to move things around. Right. And the younger generation apparently doesn't want to do it as much. I don't blame them. But <laughs> at the same time, you have to have, if you want your Amazon order to come, somebody has to move it around. Yeah. And so I think that the warehouse robotics space is likely to have an uptick. I think autonomous vehicles, they're going to have to restructure. Yeah. And, and, and if it's what's interesting about the autonomous vehicle space is that a lot of the developments from the component level things like LiDAR and vision cameras and things like that, that helps spur the other robotics industry. So if that's going to be in trouble, that would spell trouble for all of these other robotics makers, right? It would if you're expecting certain advances in LiDAR. Yeah. Like you want them to be cheaper at scale, sure. Yeah. And, and is that going to, is that happening? Is that, is that still dry? Is the price of LiDAR still coming down? It's coming down, maybe not as fast. Yeah. But the mobile robots that are out there already have established sensor suites, so that's not okay. as much of an issue. But if you're trying to get robots into new spaces, then it right, gets tricky. And you want to have that level of navigation, yeah. and object detection, and obstacle avoidance. Then what's happening is a lot of people are turning to the software side to solve that. Rather than the hardware side, where the timeframes are slower, Right. there's already been, and I think in the next year there will continue to be investment and interest and saying, okay, how do we apply AI? And not generative AI, but machine learning. Machine learning, deep learning, all that stuff that was happening before the generative stuff came out. But that's gotten a little bit of a funding boost. How do we apply that in new ways? And You you and I have talked before about the evolving software stack for mobile robots, but also for service robots. That's going to continue. I think you'll see more differentiation on that side than on the hardware side in the coming year. And the development of 5G networks will help too, correct? Yes. You know, as, as, again, the communication between a you know, a system and, and the cloud is going to be better, but most of that's going to be moving to the edge anyway. Well, and, and even... Because of 5G. Even in the case of, of again, let's take mobile robots in the yeah. warehouse, if you can have uh, a local 5G network, right? It's not going to be exposed to the world. Right. But you do get better throughput. You do enable that centralization of compute so that way you're not worrying as much about power on the endpoint. Yeah. Right? And there's also novel charging solutions out there as well because power and weight are the enemies of robotics and drones. Okay. And if you can offload that in any way, so much the better. All right. Gene Dimitri, good stuff. Uh, If you're interested in robotics, uh, go to the Robot Report and all their other sites that they've got there. Uh, They're covering the the market Constantly and, and with, with quality stuff. So, Gene, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. All right. That's all the time we have for today's episode. Uh, please like this video, subscribe to the channel, add any thoughts that you have below. Join us every week for new episodes of Today in Tech. I'm Keith Shaw. Thanks for watching.